We're going to be looking this morning and probably over the next, I don't know how many weeks, I don't know how long this is going to take me, I'm just, I start, we'll see where we go. We're going to look at the book of Revelation and I said last week, you need to bring your Bibles. Um, the reason you're going to need to bring your Bibles is we're going to be referring to various things all the way through. Um, before we look at the book of Revelation itself, we need to understand that probably the greatest problem that we as Christians face is our theology. You say, no, 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 my greatest problem is my husband. My greatest problem is my wife. My greatest problem is my kids. My greatest problem is my boss. No, your greatest problem is your theology. It's the way you see God and the way you see yourself. And we have in the church today, we have a huge cross-section of thinking concerning Christianity, concerning God, concerning ourselves. On this side over here, we've got the hang on until Jesus comes back, life's hell and I'm hating it, but one day I'll die and it'll be good group, all right? Life will never change, it's miserable, but I'm just holding on, holding on. That's that group. Life's not fun if you're in that group. Then over here, we've got the group of, oh, glory, hallelujah, I just speak it and it goes away. I'm just on top all the time. They're living in a dream. All right? You've got that group. And then we've got the whole group in the middle. Just a spread all the way through. You'll fit somewhere in there. I hope not at either end. But you will fit in there somewhere. Now, the book of Revelation is written to sort you out. It was given to the church to sort out our theology in life, to help us to see what life is really all about and what's going on in your and my life. That's why Revelation is there. What I would encourage you to do over the next few weeks, if you've got a computer, is Google the Bible Project. I'm not showing it this morning because it's actually, Revelation is actually 17 to 18 minutes long. But Google the Bible Project and then find the book of Revelation in there. The Bible Project, we've seen it when we looked at the book of Romans. A couple of guys got together, one is, one is an artist, and they've put the whole Bible into picture. And they go through the book and they draw, they draw as it goes. And you can see in a, in a matter of 10 to 15 minutes, you can get a, 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 a panorama of what the book is all about. The theology of those guys, the, 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 whoever is advising them is absolutely brilliant. Their theology is really good. So I encourage you over the next week, Google the Bible Project, go to Revelation and watch and listen to what they say. And I'll be saying the same thing over the next 26 weeks. How's that? Don't think, oh, well, I'll watch that and then won't come to church for 26 weeks. No, I'll give you a bit more than what they'll give you, but it'll give you an idea of where we're going. It'll give you an idea of the theological direction we're going to be taking with the book of Revelation. It's easy to look, in the, look at our world today and wonder what on earth's going on, isn't it? You, know, you look at the news, you read the newspaper if you read one, or you go online and read the newspaper online and you think, God, what is going on in this world? It's crazy. You can see wars. Wars threatening all the time. Just Trump's got to open his mouth and there's a war around the corner. 
There's earthquakes where there shouldn't be earthquakes. There's floods where there shouldn't be floods. There's mass shootings where that shouldn't happen. We all have experienced all of that stuff in the last year. And the list goes on and on and on. And we can sometimes despair and think, God, where are you? What is going on in this world of ours? And as we do that, questions begin to arise. And I'm sure they've arisen in your mind as they've arisen in mine from time to time. What is actually happening in this world? Why do good people suffer? You see, good people who have spent all of their lives doing good things and their life is hell. And then you see total ratbags having a ball. And they go, what, what is happening here? Where's God in all of this? Why does it look like evil is winning and good is losing? Ever thought like that? What security do, we, do, security do we have in the midst of pain and suffering? Now, if you've been listening to the theme of the service as it's gone from when Rachel started, you'll see that there's a theme going through this service, and it's finishing here. What's God's plan for his church as we see the end getting closer? Where is God actually leading us? Is he leading us anywhere, or is it just like a, a game of uh, chess that you don't know how to play it, and it's going to just sort of unfold in front of you as you go. What's the church's role in everything we see? How should we respond in a world like we live in? What's required of us? Now, those aren't new questions. Those are the same questions that would have been asked 2,000 years ago. Nothing much, I'm afraid, has changed. Every generation has asked those questions. I'm sure during World War II, they were asking those questions. During World War I, they were asking those questions. During the Napoleonic Wars and the Boer Wars, they were asking those same questions. In the early church, they were asking those same questions. And the book of Revelation was written to a church in crisis to answer those questions. When the book of Revelation was written, persecution was severe. You know, we're living in heaven compared to what they were living in. We need to understand that. We think the world's getting worse. No, it's just a different shade of black. The world's always been like this. And it depends where you live, how bad it looks. If you're living in Afghanistan right now, it's not a nice place to be. We're a bit privileged in New Zealand. But Christians were being arrested, they were being beheaded, they were being fed to the lions. The church was being hounded, meeting behind closed doors in fear. Where's God at times like that? Has God forgotten his people? And we can find the answer to all those questions in the book of Revelation. You know, the book of Revelation is probably the most written about and talked about book in the whole Bible, and yet the least understood. <laughs> in the last hundred years, the book of Revelation is sort of being regarded by Christians as a book full of secret codes that if you can just get the right code, you'll find out what's going to happen, you know, who the Antichrist is going to be. 
Are we going to be the church that just gets taken away and fly, fly away? Full of secret codes and predictions. Is that what revelation really is? Mark Twain once said the following, and this should come up. There it is. The researchers of many commentators have already thrown much darkness on the subject, the book of Revelation he's talking about, and it's probable if they continue, we shall know nothing at all about it. I think he hit it on the head. People have said so much about this book, and the more they say, the less we know. It's just a confusing mess. And yet this book's incredibly important. I want to read a few verses to you. Revelation 22, verse 7. I'm going to be taking my time over this introduction because unless we do this properly, we're going to be in trouble. So we're going to take our time. It's going to be the longest introduction you've heard me give. It's going to take two weeks. Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon, Jesus said. Now note that was said 2,000 years ago should give you an indication of what God means when he says soon. If you've ever, you've ever had a prophetic word that God said, I'm going to do this soon, keep it in the context of this. Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Blessed, happy, contented, fulfilled, prosperous, is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. So in the book of Revelation, there's stuff in there that is really important for our well-being as Christians. There's stuff in this book that will keep us, that will keep our theology in, in the place where we are living closer to this end than to this end. Revelation 22 verse 10. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Now Daniel was told, seal up the prophecy of this book until the end. But John is told, don't seal it up. Let people know. It's got to be understood because the time is near. And then Revelation 22, 18 and 19 I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes the words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, that's quite awesome. Scary. God's saying this book is really, really, really important. Now, if it's, so, if it's so important, why do we understand it so badly? Why are we so confused? Why do you avoid reading it? Why do so many people say so many different things about it? Why do so many Christians just read it with a worried frown, saying, what? Well, part of the reason is this next slide. It's all the imagery that's in there. Graphic imagery of beasts and harlots and dragons and 666 and antichrists and false prophets and stars and candlesticks. What? 
After you've finished reading it, you think, what? What on earth has all that got to do with me? Us. This place. (laughs) Now, much of our problem comes through the way we approach the book, through the way we approach those weird and wonderful things. See, in our desire to uncover its mysteries and unearth its secrets, we often rush past sound biblical exegesis. That's a big word, isn't it? It means understanding of what the Bible is actually saying. There are principles that help us to do Bible reading properly. And if we rush past those into just looking at what it's saying and trying to interpret it without going through proper exegesis, we are in trouble, particularly when you get to this stuff. That's where all the weird books in the Christian bookshop come from. And as a result, we've ended up with a Nostradamus-like understanding. We see it as a book with secret messages. Of, a, of, of sequential end-time events on this planet. And you just got to understand what comes after the other and th- to know what time you're in so that you can know whether you're going to be the ones taken away or not. I'm not making fun if that's what you believe. But I don't believe that's what Revelation is saying. <laughs> You know, we've, we've looked to people like Barry Smith. Now, those of you who know Barry Smith, I loved Barry Smith. But, books written by people like Tim LaHaye, a late great planet Earth. Got a copy on my bookshelf. I've read them all, done them all. Watched all the Left Behind movies. Those of you who are under 40 haven't the faintest idea what I'm talking about. We watch them five times each. And every time you watch them, you got more and more scared. (gasps) Is the white van coming? (laughs) See, some people have watched it. We pour over the words of Revelation, looking for hidden signs that we're in the last days. Don't we? You know, when, when I was first saved, this was the thing. You know, it, it was the thing. You know, everybody, everybody read stuff on Revelation, and everybody was 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 working. Oh, are we in the last days? You know, I remember we had a we had a young guy come and preach at our church. I actually met him a little while ago. He's not a young guy anymore. He's bald and older than me, but he was a young guy in those days, and he had had a fresh revelation, and he was excited, and he was preaching about this fresh revelation that, that he, he'd read, he'd read in, in the Gospels where it says, when you see these signs coming, when you see the, 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 the fig tree begin to bud and blossom, you'll know you're in the end, and he worked it out. Fig tree, Israel, 1948, Israel became a nation, a generation's 40 years, 1988, Jesus is coming again. Guess what? He didn't. We've all had that, haven't we? Those of us who have been Christians long enough, we've all worked it out. Oh, Jesus has got to be here by this time. We're in those days. You know, we can see the signs, you know. Add them all up. Yep, I got it. And you were wrong. 
We look for current world figures who will match the imagery of the book. We look at the imagery, oh yeah, I know who that is. Barry Smith was, was, was sure it was Henry Kissinger. Who's Henry Kissinger? He's gone. Definitely wasn't the Antichrist. And generally, every generation's got it wrong. World War II, it was Hitler. In the early church, it was Nero. They might have been an Antichrist, but they weren't the one. And yet, is that what Revelation actually is? Have we missed the point by going to those places? Is it a book that only the enlightened can understand? Or is there really a simple message in it that's for everybody? That in our rush to get into the mystical, we've missed the real. Does Revelation actually say something of vital importance to the church in every generation? You know, as I studied the book of Revelation over the last year, and it's taken me a year to get to this point, okay? As I studied this over the last year, it suddenly dawned on me. The book of Revelation was given to a suffering church. If it was all about foretelling a generation that was going to be mystically wafted away into the clouds, lucky people. They were going to miss out on all of the suffering, all of the horror. They were just going to float away. How encouraging is that to a people who are being beheaded right now? How encouraging is that to someone who's just lost their kids because the Roman soldiers have come and killed them? How encouraging is that to a person who's in jail? How encouraging is that to someone who can't buy and sell because they're a Christian? To know that in the future there's going to be a generation that will never suffer. They will just float away. I would find that depressing. And yet Revelation was written to encourage a suffering church. Revelation actually has a message for every generation. It's timeless. It's not about a time. It's about every time. We are in the book of Revelation as they were in the book of Revelation. And if there's another generation to come, they will also be in the book of Revelation. It's about all of us. So what is it saying to all of us? And to find that out, we need to start where everyone should start and no one tends to. We should start by answering three basic questions, and they're really important. First is, what kind of a book is it? Unless when you're reading the Bible, you ask, the, ask that question, you sometimes miss the point badly. What kind of a book am I reading right now? We'll talk about that. And we won't finish talking about that today. We'll finish that next week. Who was Revelation written to? And why? Why was, why was it given in the first place? That's important. Because the reason it was given in the first place is the reason we should be reading it for now. 
And lastly, out of that, what is its key message? Understand the answer to those three questions, you begin to understand the most difficult to understand book in the whole of Scripture. So what kind of a book is it? Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Because in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, the answer to those questions is hitting us right in the face. We tend to miss Revelation chapter 1, 1 to 4, because, oh, that's just the introduction. Let's get to the 666 and the beast. That's what I want to read. You don't start there. You start at the beginning, because the beginning tells you how to interpret the middle. Now, every study of God's word, as I've, told, as I've said before, should start with this question. What kind of a book... What genre, that's the fancy theological word, am I actually reading? Because the kind of book determines how you approach it. Did you know that? You don't approach every book in the Bible the same, or do you? You shouldn't. Not every book of the Bible is the same. This is not a book. It is a library. There are 66 books in this library, and they fall into different categories. They are not all the same. There's poetry in here. Psalms is poetry. Psalms is not theology. If you are going to the book of Psalms to try and find out deep understanding about God, you're going to the wrong place. Psalms is like a diary. It's people who are going through normal life like you and I go through, and they're writing their thoughts down. And some of them aren't good thoughts. Have you worked that out? David prays at one stage, God, kill all their women and slash them open. Well, is that God? Hmm? Should it even be there? Yeah, because he was thinking it. He's just writing down his thoughts. It's not God's thoughts, it's his, okay? He's a human being going through human things. That's why half of them are just grizzles. Oh, God, my life is awful. I don't think this is fair, God, and I don't think this is fair, God. Sounds like you and I, doesn't it? It's normal people going through normal things. It's poetry. And as he expresses his emotions, it dawns on them there's something bigger than what he's going through. And every now and again, he breaks through and he says, But God, you are great. It's poetry. Be careful with poetry. It's human emotion. So that's a certain kind of genre. That's a certain kind of book. Ecclesiastes is another kind of book. It's wisdom literature. It's not poetry. It's not theology. You're not going to find great theology in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is, are the observances of a person about life from their own perspective. So Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon during a time or about a time when he was backslidden. And that is why he says, vanity, vanity, says the preacher. In other words, waste of time, waste of time. Everything's a waste of time. Is that good theology? No, it's not. It's the theology of a, God who's, of a man who's lost his God. 
And so he's looking at life through lost God eyes. Well, okay, there's a time for everything. Time to kill people. Time to do... Not great theology, is it? But he's looking at life through fallen eyes. And then he gets to the end. He says, when all is said and done, honor God. Because that's where life really is. It's wisdom literature. Be careful when you're reading that kind of stuff that you don't get your theology from there. It's just understanding it's a human way of looking at a human world through human eyes, and every now and again you see God in it. You've even got the devil's words in this book. Oh, yes, you have. You've got Job and... The devil speaks to God about Job, and then the devil speaks to Job through Job's friends. Just like he speaks to you through some of your Christian friends sometimes. Now be careful what, you, what kind of book you're reading, interpret it according to its kind. That's important. Genesis is not history. Genesis is theology. Genesis doesn't tell you the how, it tells you the who. So you don't get good scientific theology, scientific understanding through Genesis. You get an understanding of who God is and what he has done, not how he has done it. Whereas kings... And Solomon, a history. And you get stories of real people in real time who you can go back into ancient civilizations and find the same stories, the history. So it's a whole lot of different books, right? You're getting the picture? So what kind of a book is Revelation? Is it history? No. Is it poetry? No. Is it wisdom literature? Definitely not. So let's look at Revelation chapter 1 and let's see what kind of a book Revelation is. This is really important. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation, by the way, is the word apocalypse. And if you thought apocalypse meant war, apocalypse now. If you thought apocalypse meant war or, or mass destruction, you're wrong. It's not what apocalypse means at all. It means revelation. The revelation or the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. And then he says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from one who was and is and was and who is to come, etc., etc. In there, we find that Revelation is actually three kinds of book. First of all, it's an apocalypse. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Secondly, it's a prophecy, and we'll talk about that next week. And lastly, it's an occasional letter. It's a letter 
to real people in real time about real events, okay? So it's an apocalypse, it's a prophecy, and it's a letter. Let's look at the first one. The revelation or the apocalypse, the Greek word is apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. Apocalypse means this. Remember, I didn't say it meant war. It does not mean destruction. It means this, to uncover, to lay open what was veiled or covered up, to disclose, to make bare, to disclose what before was unknown. Basically, apocalypse means this, to make things that are unknown plain. To give understanding where before there was none. To clarify. To open your eyes to help you to see what is actually there. That's what apocalypse means. So revelation is actually there. It's been given to make things clearer, not to make things more complicated. And yet, oh, how we have complicated it. The early church, when they heard this read, would have heard it and got excited. And been encouraged. And gone on with that sense of God being with them. They wouldn't have heard it. Oh, I wonder who... Six, six, six. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. They wouldn't have gone through that. They would have been lifted up and encouraged. We have complicated it to a point where we're just a total fuzzy mess. So what other books are an apocalypse? Ezekiel is an apocalypse. Daniel is an apocalypse. They are both apocalyptic books. It's a type of Jewish literature. They're in the Apocrypha as well, which is writings that aren't in the Scripture. Now, apocalypses are, are, are usually use symbolic visions. So those pictures we saw before, dragons and harlots and candlesticks, that's common with an apocalypse. That's how they are. They have used symbolic visions to reveal a heavenly perspective on history. So the visions that you, they, the person sees, the images they see, are designed to open up the reader's or the hearer's eyes to what they are experiencing now. That's what they are for. So in an apocalypse, a seer or a prophet is taken in vision to God's throne room to learn the secrets of the divine purpose. So if you look at Ezekiel, let's quickly go back to Old Testament, the apocalypse, the prophetic book of Ezekiel, and you'll see a very similar picture to what you get in Revelation. Ezekiel 1. Verses 1 to 9. This is is what you should be doing when you do some Bible study. You should do your work. Ezekiel 1, 1 to 9. In the 30th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. So he's taken into the throne room. This is so much like Revelation. 
It talks about the, the time, it was the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, and so on. Verse 4, I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out from the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning, surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. Are you getting the picture here? He's, he's seeing stuff that he never saw before. He's seeing into the throne room of God, and he's seeing, he's seeing things that humans don't understand. And we could go on. In, their appear, in appearance, the form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. You try drawing this, it'll screw you up in knots. People have tried, and it's grotesque. But each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight. Their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings on four sides they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings and their wings touched one another. And each of them went straight ahead and they didn't turn as they moved. And we could keep reading, but we won't. You getting the picture? This is an apocalypse. The prophet's taken into the throne room of God and he's seeing something which is designed to give him perspective on what his natural eyes are seeing. Now, the purpose of an apocalypse is to see the world from heaven's perspective. It's to shake us out of what we are seeing in the natural to actually see what God sees. And, oh, we need that today. The church needs that. You need that in your daily life. We need to be taken out of, shaken out of the, the misery sometimes we're experiencing to actually see what is really happening spiritually around us. An apocalypse is to help the per, to people see what is really going on. Not what you see, but what is really going on. Like, like the, 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 the prophet one day, remember the story, I've told it several times, where, where the, the, the army... Enemy army has surrounded the city, and the servant of the prophet goes out, and he sees the army all around the city, and he goes back to the prophet, and he says, oh, my Lord, we're in trouble. And the prophet says, oh, God, open his eyes. And suddenly his eyes are opened, and he sees not just a nasty army, but he sees a bigger, beautiful, glorious army, angelic army all around surrounding the bad army. And he says, oh, we're okay. All he's seeing is what is real. He starts off seeing bad with his natural eyes, and God opens his eyes to see that above the bad is so much more good. If only you could have that vision, because that's the truth. That's what's in your life right now. It's just you can't see it. An apocalypse is designed to open up your eyes to see what is really going on around you. And I hope as we go through the book of Revelation, suddenly your eyes will be opened and you'll say, Wow, we're okay. We win. It might look bad to my natural eyes, but oh God, you are in control of this. You're on the throne. We're on the winning side. I don't care what happens right now because, whoo! That's the reaction that comes from an apocalypse. That's what it's designed for. It's not to sit down and start to calculate. I wonder whether you've lost it. You're meant to get the, the feel of it. You're meant to get the impression of it. And it's meant to lift you from where you are now to where God wants you to be. An apocalypse helps you to see the present from the perspective of how it will all end up. 
to open up the reader's mind to see things how God sees them. Because we see what we see. We need to see what he sees. To answer the question, where is God in the middle of this stuff? And what on earth is he doing about it? And how does he do it? How does an apocalypse do that? Well, an apocalypse does that by using images and symbols designed to affect our emotions and change the way we see things. I think the closest we've got to an apocalypse in Christian literature is the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The whole Narnia series. If you just read that the way it's meant to be read, understanding it's a story that shows you what is really happening in the supernatural, you will be so encouraged. It is amazing theology in those books. But you don't go through and you say, Ooh, lion. Ooh, dwarf. I wonder what that means. No, you just enjoy the story. And out of the story you find out, we win. That's what it's for. And another thing about an apocalypse is it's not written to be read. That's where we lose it. It's written to be heard. It's actually like a play or a drama. It's written to be experienced. They never read it. They would be sitting in church and someone would read it to them. And they wouldn't read chapter 1 and stop. They'd read the whole thing. And out of the reading the whole thing, you start to get an impression of what it's meant to convey. It's an impression of God. It's an impression of heaven. It's an impression of darkness. It's an impression of light. And it's an impression that we need to get in our spirits deep down inside us that God is on the throne and he reigns. That's the impression we get from the book of Revelation if we read it properly. Instead of getting caught up in, oh, have I got the mark? Having a credit card, is that the mark? Oh, I've got an IRD number. Is that the mark of the beast? I'm, seriously, we had people in our day who wouldn't get credit cards because that was the mark of the beast. Oh, a number. You can't have a number. It's not what it's saying. It's an impression. It's a story a dramatic performance to allow the audience to enter the world of its drama through the performance and out of it get a perception of what is really happening. So, look, what about the symbols and the pictures and the dragons and the harlots? What are they? They're simply symbols. They're not to be taken literally unless it's specified. Whether Tumnus is there or not isn't really the issue. Tumnus, the fawn, and the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, doesn't really matter who he is. He's there. It's just part of the story. In Revelation 1 verse 20, though, look at this. The mystery, of, he sees seven stars and he sees seven lampstands. But then it goes on in verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angel of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is one time in Revelation where he actually says this is what it means. 
So wherever you see the stars, that's the church. That's the, 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 the angel of the churches. And wherever you see the lampstands, that's the churches themselves. That's what I'm talking about here, people, he says. But most of the symbols, most of the images, they're not explained at all. They're just there. And they're there to convey a picture. They have symbolic meaning. Empires turn into beasts. Nations are depicted as birds. And then in another place, they're depicted as the sea. Serpents can speak. A lion turns into a lamb. You've got it all happening in Revelation. They are symbols. And the point is, if we try and interpret the imagery literally, we end up in a mess. We end up interpreting the text in a way it was never intended to be interpreted. So what are the symbols for? Our role is to look at them at what they stand for, not for the things they are in themselves. Let's look at Revelation 1, 12 to 16. Let's do a little exercise on this just before we go home. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And among the seven lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, down, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. That's grotesque in itself. Try painting that. People have tried. It doesn't look good. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at felt like dead at his feet. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the living one who is dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now, when you look at that, if you get caught up in the symbolism, if you can't start trying to dissect the symbolism, you're just missing it. What's it really saying? He's seeing Jesus in all of his glory. He's not seeing gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child. He's seeing Jesus. King of kings, Lord of lords, radiant, glorious. Coming to conquer. He's seeing Jesus standing in all of his authority, in all of his greatness as God. And he's not seeing defeat. He's seeing victory. And this Jesus is standing right in the middle of the seven churches. And that's what we're meant to see. If you get caught up in all of the little intricacies of the imagery, you've missed the point. The point is that Jesus stands in our midst this morning gloriously. He stands in our midst victoriously. Whatever is going on in your life this morning, King Jesus stands right in the midst. Nothing can touch you with him standing in your midst. That's what we are meant to see in that. <coughs> in verse 1, this is the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Literally, that means to expose to the eyes, to give evidence of proof or proof of a thing. 
God has given this apocalypse, this revelation to us as a revelation of Jesus Christ, not of the Antichrist, not of Henry Kissinger, not of any human being. This is God's explanation of who Jesus is of what he does. And it's designed to open up our eyes, to give us evidence of what is real. To convince us that no matter what is going on in our lives, he is in control. That's what Revelation is all about. And within the symbolic drama, the reader or the listener is meant to see their own situation and fit it into God's reality. So you're to take your miserable little world right now your horrible little world it might be. The pain you might be experiencing, the the disappointments you might be having, the things that are not happening right for you, you are to take that and you are to immerse it into the fact that our God reigns in the middle of that. That out of that, Jesus is standing glorious. He's not worried. He's not crying. He's not defeated. He's standing, ruling in the middle of what you are going through today. And if he's standing, ruling, you're going to be okay. Isn't that good news? And you miss the point if you get into all the little... We're going to read Isaiah 6 and then finish. What's Isaiah got to do with Revelation? Isaiah starts the way Revelation carries on. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. And this is really what I've been saying in a nutshell. In the middle of our situation... God opens up our eyes to see what is real. Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah was Isaiah's best friend. But Uzziah had disobeyed God and become a leper and ruled in exile. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. I love this. In the day of my greatest pain, Isaiah is writing. In the day that looked like the greatest defeat, my friend has died. All hope seems to have gone. On that day, my eyes were opened and I saw the king seated on his throne. High and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet. With two they were flying and they called to one another, Holy, holy, holy. This is just like Revelation. You'll hear this again and again and again in there. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. What is God doing there? He's saying, Isaiah, open your eyes. You might be miserable and you might be depressed right now, but open your eyes and see what's real. God's ruling and reigning through this stuff. He's in control. You don't have to worry. Your hope might be gone, but God's hope is not gone. There is hope and there is a future for you because I am on the throne, God is saying. I am on the throne and God is on the throne in yours and my life this morning. And that's what Revelation is there to teach us, is that no matter what we go through, 
God is on the throne in your life and mine. Isn't that exciting? That's just the introduction. We're halfway through it. Have you, have you lived through it? We're going to get through the other half, look at the other two bits of what Revelation really is, and then we're going to look at the book itself. If we don't do this properly, people, we're going to miss it. We'll get into the wrong thing. So we need to do it properly and then go from there. Let that guide where we go from this point on. That makes sense? So we're going to be doing more talking about God and less talking about 666 than you think. Father, I just thank you for the book of Revelation. I thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to get into this properly as a church. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help us over the next few weeks to have our eyes opened to who you are and what you have done and what you are doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.